Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Ezra the Watchful. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into chapter 29, Sansa 2 of A Game of Thrones. And in A World of Ice and Fire, we are discussing the fall of the dragon. And uh, Robert Baratheon, first of his name, King of the Andals, the Roynar, and the First Men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. Mm-hmm. Wow, you gotta take a breath when you're saying all that. You do. <laughs> you do. It's 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 a it's a lot it's a lot to say and a lot to get out. Yeah, it just, yeah, it's a mouthful. All right. <laughs> oh goodness. Um, so we always like to mention at the top of the show uh, here just our our, uh, our Gmail. Um, hit us up. Send, send those ravens to btkcast at gmail.com. Some of you guys have got that memorized. Uh, some of you have heard me say it and you've memorized it, uh, but you've yet to send in a raven. And I challenge, sure. I challenge you, all right? Yeah. Sir Ezra is challenging you to send us that mm-hmm. raven, you know? Because yeah. I, I know people have got some ravens out there that they're thinking, you know, they've got some good thoughts and things they want to share, um, you know? All ravens are welcome. And I said ravens, not crows, you know? So Yeah, it's, it's true. Um, Sir Ezra, we're back again. Yeah, uh, and this is this is our this is our first main show recording uh, in our new our new setup, and uh, I think you know we, we had some hiccups the other day, but I think I think we you know we're we're improving, and uh, as as we go forward in this new way, it should be should be getting slightly better. Uh, yeah, well, uh, one thing I've realized is that uh, you know sometimes you got to actually pull out the old Ethernet cable and run it up uh, upstairs and actually yeah. plug it in. <laughs> You know, I mean, this old Wi-Fi situation is not always the best, uh, the best way to operate. So, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, talk about getting some out, getting some ancient technology out. I mean, wow, that's been a lot of fun. But, yeah, you know, uh, hey, just make sure that your, uh, you know, your router is uh, is set and good to go, and you've got, uh, you know, nothing obstruction, no obstructions. Oh, that's 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 the funny part is, you know, my dad's like, hey, what's going on with the Wi-Fi? I was like, well, I don't know, Dad, you've got it in a in a glass, you know, case here. It's enclosed underneath the stairs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, yeah, 
You know? He's like, what? I didn't think that mattered. <laughs> it's like, Dad, no, hold man. on now. Get that thing out of there. But then I had – that still didn't help it, though, so I had to – had to plug in and, uh, you know, I don't know. But we're learning. We're getting it uh, getting mm-hmm. it figured out, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Should be good. So, uh, yeah, I still have somewhat of a cough, but I do feel uh, mostly better. Hopefully I sound a little less nasally and a little better than I did uh, last time. I was, uh, I was I'm recovering from my, my journey on the King's Road. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> yeah, you sound yeah, – you, so. you do sound better, and I, I, I know – uh, last time we we finished up and you were done just oh i was i was like dead yeah. yeah so so i've got you know like a gallon of water next to me here so hopefully i can uh, you know make it make it through <laughs> that's good that's awesome uh well um i actually am kind of uh like uh either coming down with something uh it's like every morning i wake up i've got a little, little something going on because I think it's just that back to school, kids are all around each other, sickness is, you know, it's the mm-hmm. the fever is getting out. Um, mm-hmm. What was that, what was the spring uh, that they had where... Uh, the summer chill. The summer chill, yeah, what, what did they call that one summer? Remember where uh, Baylor Breakspear dies, uh, Baylor Breakspear and his, oh, right. his sons, both of his sons passed away in that... Uh, oh, uh, in, in the Duncan Eggs. Spr- was that yeah, the spring of sickness? Sickness? Summer sickness, I think, is just what they called it. Yeah, yeah, it was some. They had a name for that that um, that spring though, and I can't remember what it was. But anyway, anyways, or that uh, that summer. But uh, mm-hmm. oh well, um, that's what it kind of feels like, anyways. So yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's go ahead and head on over to the uh, small council. Just some kind of updates on life and some show news or some interesting show tidbits. Uh, Sir Ezra, anything anything exciting going on? Uh, not really other than I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the group, like much more than I thought I would. Um, mm-hmm. people just like, it's so funny, the things that, uh, uh, folks will send and tag me in there and, uh, the conversations that are happening, they just, uh, I don't know, man, it just makes me happy. I, I love going in there and seeing what's happening. So, uh, if you haven't joined yet, you, I mean, you're, you're, you're missing out. You got to get in there cause it's all, mm-hmm. it's all Game of Thrones related and it's, uh, it's just cool connections. There are things about the chapter. There's, there's discussions. We're, we have a big discussion coming up uh, for follow up Friday, uh, based upon stuff that happened in the group. So, you know, a, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of the names you hear here on the show, a lot of our patrons are actually in there, uh, kind of leading the discussion, you know, and taking charge. Yeah, absolutely. So, which is great. It's our bannerman in there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, not a whole lot going on with me. Uh, you know, things are uh, rainy over here in in my new uh, my new. <laughs> my new uh keep right i'll I'll say that uh yeah up here in the pacific northwest but yeah so far so good yeah so uh yeah um well some show news uh, something i found kind of interesting um ign did a top 25 best game of thrones episodes list and so i'm just going to kind of pull up some of the highlights here okay um At uh, 25, they have The Dragon and the Wolf from Season 7. That is the uh, Season 7 finale. Um, and that's kind of when we got the uh, the shows. That's like the Dragon Pit episode, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so so, so there's that one. Um, some other highlights here. Let's just skip ahead. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, 17, The Bear and the Maiden Fair. Um, yeah. That's the, uh, yeah, that's kind of where Jamie Lannister's his redemption arc is kind of going where he's at, he's at the fight. He's in the fighting pit, right? right. With mm-hmm. Bran. Yeah. That's that a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. 
12 and now my watch and now his watch has ended season three this is where um marjorie kind of starts to manipulate joffrey um theon gets tricked into rams uh, by ramsey by thinking yeah. he was escaping and lord right. commander mormont's watch ends right wow. kind of the big, big betrayal there at craster's keep right and then daenerys that's where daenerys gets her army right and she burns the slave masters mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. a huge episode that's a lot like, going on there yeah yep yeah. Um yeah, number 10 uh number number 10 the door. No uh no uh nothing nothing you know nothing necessary there. Number 9 the mountain and the viper, one of the sickest fights in the show. Oh yeah. Um let's just skip ahead here. Number 7 the battle of the bastards. Okay. Yep. Um number 5 Baylor, which is season 1 episode 9 where everything, you know, goes wrong where Ned Stark gets beheaded and um everything you know going yeah going on, on there yep number four is blackwater that's a pretty sweet episode. oh is that that's with Tyrion, right it's right with Tyrion with the wildfire blackwater bay that's a huge episode right like yeah mm-hmm. uh number three the spoils of war which is an episode from season uh seven it's where Arya returns and has that sparring lesson with um brianne john is still down at dragonstone uh and he and Daenerys are kind of, you know, going back and forth. And this is where Daenerys leads her dragons against Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a that's a huge episode. Number two, the reigns of Castamere, aka yeah. the Red Wedding. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Um. And then number one, they say is Hard Home, season five. Uh, they say the way season five was going, still great TV, but not the best Game of Thrones had offered. We don't think anyone expected it to deliver an episode as mighty as Hard Home. What a chilling, insane final 20 minutes um, where the Night King shows up and unleashes a literal avalanche of uh, undead minions on the mm-hmm. last remaining frozen holdout of Mance Raider's wildlings. It brought the White Walkers to the forefront of the series in terrifying fashion and further helped solidify Jon Snow as the show's ultimate hero, not only proving that he was right in his attempt to unite uh, enemy factions, but that he was, as shown in season four's The Watcher on the Wall, an action-ready badass. Yeah. Huh. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. Can't really argue with that. I mean, he definitely does, you know. And I get, and you the, get that. TV, you get that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you get that. You get that epic stare down between John and the Night King, and yeah, yeah, he definitely emerges as as like the uh, the hero, right? The main main character, right? Uh, in a sense, I mean, mm-hmm. he was before, but it's like now, like all those things that we've been <laughs> building for, you know, um, you know, him. He's basically in that leadership role, and and he was wanting to unite the wildlings, and yeah, it's. It finally, yeah. finally all makes sense and starts to fit, and you see what's coming, uh, and, and it's winter. You know, it's great. So, yeah, cool. <clears throat> yeah, that that fight between John and the uh, the White Walker is actually like pretty sweet. There's there's the epic part where um, John's like knocked down, and he is uh, he's like going to grab Longclaw, and he grabs it, and he kind of stands up and fights it. And when Longclaw meets the uh, White Walker's blade. The White Walker gives John this look like, uh, what? Like, right. <laughs> like, yep. just ha- like totally, the White Walker's like totally shocked. And then John, you know, yep. does this like slash and, yeah. and breaks, yeah, and kills him, which is pretty cool. It's awesome. So, so awesome. So, all right. That's well, cool. let's go ahead and head on over to the uh, Maester's study here. This week we're in, um, last week we kind of talked about the lead up to Robert's, um, rebellion mm-hmm. and uh 
and this is kind of uh so the Roberts Rebellion chapter, right? Yeah, and, I mean, we've been talking about the fall of the dragon uh kind of kind of It's all kind of one huge event. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Really. Yeah, it's really really all of it's these really, combined. It's really it, it's yeah, it's really all of these combined. You can go all the way to kind of the tourney at Hall to Robert's Rebellion to, like, his reign is all one kind of... Because it all happens really fast mm-hmm. within the span of, like, a couple of years. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right. Here we go. Uh, Robert's Rebellion. What followed Prince Rhaegar's infamous abduction of Lyanna Stark was the ruin of House Targaryen. The full depth, the full depth of King Aerys' madness was subsequently revealed in his depraved actions against Lord Stark, his heir, and their supporters after they demanded um, for uh, Rhaegar's wrongs. They wanted uh, mm-hmm. yeah. repercussions for that. Instead of granting them fair hearing, King Ares had them brutally slain. Uh, then following these murders by demanding that Lord John Aaron execute his former wards, Robert Baratheon and Eddard Stark. Many now agree that the true start of Robert's rebellion began with Lord Aaron's refusal and his courageous calling of his banners in the defense of justice. Yet not all the lords of the Vale agreed with Lord John's decision, and soon fighting broke out as loyalists to the crown attempted to bring Lord Aaron down. Mm-hmm. The fighting then spread across the seven kingdoms like wildfire. As lords and knights took sides, many alive today fought in these battles and so can speak with greater knowledge of them than I, who was not there. Uh, I therefore leave it to such men to write the true detailed history of Robert's Rebellion. Far be it for me to offend those who yet live by presenting an imperfect summary of events or mistakenly praising those who have since proved unworthy. So instead, I will look only to the Lord and Knight who ascended the Iron Throne at the end, repairing the realm nearly destroyed by madness. So I find this, there's a lot to take away just from this intro passage. Oh, yeah. And uh, and this speaks volumes about what we've been saying with World of Ice and Fire. Yep. Is it's all about the perspective of these maesters. I mean, so even right now they're saying, you know, many who are alive today. So... As uh, one of our listeners pointed out, uh, was it Sir Gibbs, I want to say? Um, this is, if you look at the beginning of this book, it looks like there's some names crossed out, right? And then you have comments. So this is being written while King Tommen is alive. So presumably where we're at in the books, I would guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and so the point, yeah, I, I thought this was huge as well because it's um, someone doesn't want to offend. You know the, mm-hmm. the the current king, uh, right? And and that's basically what I got from it. It's like I'll leave this to somebody later on who can look back at this and you know not have to worry about um, whether they're going to lose their head. <laughs> you know, essentially uh, for telling the truth here. I mean, it, it also right. like like a lot of details about you know his rebellion. I feel like we're given a decent amount, like a timeline. You know, um, we have some mm-hmm. major events, but really we don't have a lot from the royal you know, uh, right side of things like the crown. Uh, we don't get that perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's intentionally left out of here because I believe it's, it's going to be, uh, revealed, um, you know, down the line. So mm-hmm. possibly in, yeah. in, in winds of winter, you know, and the, uh, final book. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's just, it's just interesting. Another thing, um, you know, this is another th- another thing with World of Ice and Fire. It doesn't it, it doesn't tell us the whole story. Something we we've talked about here. I mean, right here, where it just says the full depth of King Aerys' madness was subsequently revealed in his depraved actions against Lord Stark, his heir, and their supporters. 
I mean, it just says, oh, he had depraved actions. It doesn't tell you what those depraved actions are. It doesn't tell you that he, like, you know, had a fire <laughs> yeah. burning and um, Brandon Stark had, like, a rope around his neck. They're on this, like, pulley system and his dad's being hanged over fire. So he has to, like, reach out and grab this sword to try and cut his dad down. But by at the same time, it's going to strangle himself. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Well, the other th- uh, point here that I thought was interesting is that, like, um, I mean, the Mad King is is mad, but he also knows that, like, I mean, really, I think I think the rebellion would have happened regardless of whether, um, you know, he would have tried to execute or or told John Aaron to execute um, right. Ned and and uh, Robert. You know, they're they're ticked off. I mean, so um, they're going to do something. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. actually call their banners and risk everybody's lives, etc. Uh, you know, it would have happened eventually. But I think by the Mad King sort of calling for their execution right away, um, you know, that kind of that, that's really what, you know, pushed us right into, as as the Maester said there, uh, that's the start of the war is when he, you know, defies that order. Right. So. <clears throat> and, you know, something that's interesting is I would imagine young Eddard Stark would be. I mean, even without, you know, John Aaron has kind of raised Robert Baratheon and Eddard, you know, Eddard Stark. But I think Eddard Stark has justification of himself to just say, nope, we're done. This is over. And I mean, I I think with simply the North. Yeah. Could he could he challenge the South? Yeah. I mean, yeah, possibly. I mean, he he could have he could have, you know, he could have led his own rebellion. It's interesting because he he says he doesn't want to be king. Yeah. You yep. know, but he says it's Robert's rebellion. Yeah, what would he have done, you know? Like what I, know. I mean, that's, that's really something to think about. Um and uh before I forget, Vermeer Foreskins is the one who was uh, pointing out last week that, you know, that um uh, this whole perspective piece with like the start of the book and that it's written for Tom. Right. And, okay, yeah. that's who it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So great connection by him. It's very important, you know, here, and this is one of the best examples we have of somebody who doesn't want to offend, you know, uh, possible mm-hmm. current readers. So, yeah. And then, so it's also interesting, as soon as John Aaron um, calls for Bannerman, he basically starts a mini little civil war there in the Vale. Right. Is, 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 is what happens. Um, and it says fighting and there's fighting breaking out. And that's kind of what's considered the first the first, you know, it's not the first major battle, but they the, the loyalists are like wanting to overthrow John Aaron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, absolutely. Just, yeah. So. Um, so our all right. Moving uh, moving on here. Um, just uh, good. Then it just kind of goes on here. There's not really a lot left to this this kind of chapter here, but it just goes on right here. I, Robert Brathian proved himself a fearless uh, warrior and more and more as more and more men flocked to his banner. Robert was one of the one of the that was the first over the walls at Gulltown when Lord Grafton raised his banner for the Targaryens. And from there, he sailed to Storm's End, risking capture by the royal fleet to call his banners. Not all came willing. Aaron's hand, Lord Merriweather, encouraged certain Stormlands to rise up against Lord Robert. Yet it was an effort that proved fruitless following Lord Robert's victories at Summerhall, where he won three battles in a single day. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Robert Brathian is a boss. We were talking about this in Fallout Friday about him, him, him fighting Rhaegar because we're also kind of led to believe that Rhaegar is 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 a boss. But I mean, clearly, Robert, I think, you know, in open field combat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He when he's proven himself too. He he's engaged in a lot more 
Um, they actually mm-hmm. talk at the end of this chapter about how much more seasoned his men and uh, Ned's men were in comparison to Rhaegar and the Dornishmen. You know, like they had mm-hmm. seen more battle and stuff. So uh, that's a fair point for sure. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. Well, and you, and if you remember, um, one of the things it talked about in the Mad King and Ares chapter was that Ares had a lot of friends that were older, a lot of older, yep. a lot of older guys, and Ray, a lot of Rhaegar's friends and companions were just a lot of younger guys. Mm-hmm. And so you have kind of these old, you know, Robert, you know, it's House Baratheon. It's not like a small house is calling mm-hmm. upon people. It's, ha- it's House Baratheon, House Stark, House House Aaron. So they're going to be getting the best and the best of their right. You know, of their of their of their people. Right. Well, and you also have to remember, too, you know, right before this, we have a great raven at the end of the show today uh, kind of talking about this. But at Harrenhal, um, there, you know, the the idea of a rebellion was already or, or a coup of some kind is already brewing, you know, so people mm-hmm. are already kind of this is already on on people's minds, you know. So, you know, when when uh, when you call your banners They've already some of them have already heard these grumblings and have, have talked about deposing the Mad King, you know. So mm-hmm. I think it makes it more likely that you know we're gonna that they would well, answer it, the call. It, it's also interesting if you think about. I wonder if, if this really uh, it kind of has anything to do with it um, when you think about the regions of the people that were fighting. So you have like the North, the Vale, and the Stormlands. As opposed to say like the south or like um, the crown lands and like the reach, like I mean the stormlands is a much harder area to live in than the reach, where it's kind of these like lush fields. And I wonder, you know, if it's just kind of like when you think about the American Civil War, like the one thing we always kind of heard was like, well, the South in the American Civil War had it was a lot like more rural community, a lot more farmers, so a lot more they had been around weaponry more with hunting and things like that. So they would be, you, we always kind of think of them as they were more skilled than perhaps like the Northern, yeah, like a- the Northern troops. And I wonder if that's, is something that was kind of similar here where you think about the North is a lot harder to live in than the South, just at all. The Vale is probably a lot harder area to live in because you, we, we know that you have the mountain men you're probably dealing with if you're, you know, in, in kind of like the Vale's army. And things like that, as opposed to the Reach, which is like, you know, huge fields and, and things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you on that. The, the, you have to, kind of like um, you're hardened by your environment, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, another thing you, you had just read, too, the hand, uh, Ares' hand, was working against uh, like the, it, just that proximity, being that close to King's Landing. Right. Uh, the Stormlands is like getting influenced by – they're kind of uh, surrounded. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it, it is very – crazy that Robert like sailed back there to call the banners rally some some troops and he actually fights west to Summerhall and then and then actually uh, ends up circling back up around you know to mm-hmm. Ned's forces in the Riverlands which is which is an enormous push if you really look at the map this is where the, this is where there's a really good map on the, on the wiki that kind of shows just where all these battles took place and they're kind of all over the place like it's crazy to think about like fighting in the stormlands and then, like at Summerhall, which is almost like down in Dorne, and it's like it's like in the Reach, like it is like so far away from like King's Landing. And then they go all the way up to um, the place where he was staying. I can't I can't remember right now, but they go all the way up there to 
to wherever it was that he was he was staying where he sleeps at he stays at like the brothel for a couple of days i'm just blanking on the name right now and then they go all the way up to the trident like it's just kind of weird it seems like they're everyone's marching their armies all over the place for this uh yeah i I, like the way i understood it was sort of like that he had to um like to get his forces and to rally them it's almost like robert has to get like go into any go into enemy territory work his way west and then shoot north uh to meet Mm -hmm. up with ned's forces as they come down um Mm -hmm. i mean because if you look at the map the the they're completely uh uh kind of surrounded the lannisters don't really do anything you know but you've got dorn um You've got uh, Mace Tyrell. I mean, he's there. I mean, at one point, uh, Stannis Baratheon. Remember, he is uh, like um, he's trapped. You know, it's, uh, so you got Davos, right. the Onion Knight, coming in there, rescuing everybody, uh, bringing food in. Uh, you know, because mm-hmm. or rats, whatever, <laughs> for them to eat, right. rats and onions. You know, so that, that they can survive. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just kind of crazy. You know, I've always wondered about Stannis's take on this war, um, because I cannot imagine Stannis willingly going along with Robert's initial idea to rebel. Um, But I think it's probably just because obviously he goes along with it because, because with Robert, who is, you know, the Lord of storm's end um, saying, this is what's happening. And then Stannis is obviously just kind of drawn into it. Um, But I just can't, I just can't imagine Stannis thinking this is a good idea at the onset. Because, you know, he's he's all about, like, honor. And he, I'm sure even still he would probably say, well, well, he, he is still the king. That's just the kind of person Stannis is. Uh, yeah, it's it's like in his nature to not to want to kind of follow the law. But I think he's one of those people who kind of uh, understands, you know, uh, justice and honor and things. And, and he had to have, you know, been, you know, s- seeing what the Mad King was doing and, and know right. that, uh, you know, basically his brother um, – is going to be executed. I mean, if he doesn't right. do something like, you know, um, so I don't know. It's yeah, you're right. you're right in that his nature would make you think. Yeah. Initially. But, at the, but at the same time, <laughs> his brothers, is he, would he really be worried about his brother being executed because he kills Renly, his other brother. So I don't know. Yeah. That's a good point. That is, that is a good point actually. Um, interesting. I don't yeah. Know. It's interesting. I don't think we'll ever get any backstory on, on some of that. It would it would be really interesting though. I think to get a lot of, just to see a lot of these characters and what their thoughts were. Like what you know, I mean, Renly would have been really young, but still, like you know, what like what would be something he was thinking of. Like I would love to get a. I really really hope that in Winds or, um, a Dream of Spring, if we ever get to that, that uh, we do get maybe a POV chapter or two from somebody during the perspective like you know back in time of of this so we could kind of just get more of a perspective of like what other people were thinking yeah for sure and that's that it's hinted here that that it is going to be left to other men who are alive now to kind of tell us more about these things you know um Mm -hmm. yeah for sure well you've also got like i love the references throughout this as to like in the sansa chapter and in uh robert's rebellion here you're getting uh you get you get to kind of see who's on which side, you know, and then right. uh, as we've read in the Game of Thrones, you have you know uh, House Derry who had to take their Targaryen banner banners down, and they've but they they haven't you know destroyed them or burned them. They're still just putting the, right. put in the closet, waiting for a day when they can you know go back up on the walls, you know. Right. So. Yeah, 
I don't know. It's it's super interesting, and uh, I mean, it's something that we get in like Dunkin' Egg, where we get as the Sworn Sword, where we get to see somebody who fought for the um, the, the Red Dragon. Yeah. Uh, so in like I, I it, so the, it, you get to see that that's like a similar take, I guess, to see about somebody from from that side. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So. Um. Well, uh, real quick here, let, is there a couple more things we wanted to point out? Um, with um, regards to this he, battle. Well, uh, yeah. Well, well, did you want to go to move on to a, another battle, or did you want to uh, go ahead? Well, yeah, I was just looking here at uh, the way. Um, like, it's interesting. There's a part here. I'm trying to find it where the Kingsguard kind of splits up, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and, okay. and it talks about that a little bit. But let's just keep going here. The Royalist forces were left reeling and scattered by such victories, uh, though they had uh, did their best to rally. The King's Guard were dispatched to recover the remnants of Lord Connington's force. So Lord Connington, just before this, um, was actually at um, uh, the Stony Sept, and um, mm-hmm. you know it was actually called the Battle of the Bells. And um, I think, I mean, Connington and those guys get just pummeled, essentially. Yeah, they, yep. Yeah. They. Yeah. They basically just get blown out. Yeah. So. Um, so. The Kingsguard are going to find Connington's forces and try to, you know, gather them and 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 patch them up essentially and get them back. Um, Prince Rhaegar returned from the south to take command of the new uh, levies being raised in the Crown Lands. Uh, so he's kind of mm-hmm. he's he's coming back from the south. Interesting, right? He's coming mm-hmm. from possibly Dorne, Summerhall area ish. Who knows? Right. Or, or Tower of Joy. I mean, I meant to say um, because yeah. because we know that Robert was just over. You know, at uh, at Summer Hall, winning three battles in one day. You know, so yeah, and it's it's so interesting. We had talked about this. I can't remember if we talked about it on air or off air. As um, if Robert knew that Liana was at the Tower of Joy, because if you look at where Summer Hall is and roughly the area that the Tower of Joy would be at, um, it's like like less than a day's ride. Is you know is is what it, is what it looks like. I mean, Summer Hall's right. Summer Hall is right there. And it's interesting. If if Robert knew, do you think he would have went to the Tower of Joy to get Lyanna back, or would he still keep fighting? I don't know. I, I think he would have tried to, you know, uh, free her in some way, especially if it's not uh, super well defended. Although I think it seems like it was at the time because you know Prince Lewin Martel actually brings his um, his forces up from the south, and it is sort mm-hmm. of like Rhaegar that kind of brings bring. I think he might have been down there. You know, perhaps Liana's doing her thing, but he's also there trying to, you know, um, make sure that he has Dorne's support, you know, right. um, perhaps. Maybe he was trying to, you know, because again, remember, he's before all of this, he's before war is declared, he's, you know, kind of scheming and uh, he's at the attorney of, of Hall trying to get people together. Maybe he did steal Liana, head south to talk to Dorne about something. Although it seems like kind of like a crazy yeah. place for him to go with the girl who he just insulted his wife with, but we just don't know what, what, yeah. he, what his plans were, what, what he was going to, you know, no. So yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then from, yeah, right here from Dorne in defense of princess Elia, 10,000 spears came over the bone way and marched to King's landing to bolster the host the host that Regar was raising. So, I mean, that's a lot of people, you know, 10, 10,000 people coming, coming up there. Um, uh, the, there were those who are at court during the final time <laughs> have recounted that Ares' behavior was erratic. He was untrusting of any um, any of his king's 
any uh, even as Kingsguard, and then only um, imperfectly, for he kept Sir Jamie Lannister close at all hours to serve as a hostage against his father. Uh, which is, you know, that's that's interesting. Is that he's he's thinking of Jamie as his Kingsguard as his hostage. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The only ones yeah. he really trusted, I mean, uh, were were as well. Basically, he only trusted his Kingsguard, and then I don't think mm-hmm. he really trusted Jamie. But um, I don't think he did either. No. But but Sir Barristan Selmy for sure, right? I mean, he's he's the one who rescued mm-hmm. him uh, and got the title of Sir Barristan the Bold. You know. So. Right. Um, but yeah, he's definitely losing his mind. Uh, yeah. Uh, so then it says uh, when Prince Rhaegar at last marched up the King's Road to the Trident with him were all but one of the King's Guard who had remained uh, in King's Landing. Sir Barrison the Bold, Sir Jonathan or Sir, Sir Jonathor Derry and per- Prince Lewin of Dorne. Prince Lewin took the command of the Dornish troops sent by his nephew, the Prince uh, Prince Doran. But it is said that he did uh, so only after the threats of the Mad King who feared that the Dornish men looked to betray him. Only young Sir Jamie Lannister remained in King's Landing. Now that's interesting. Hmm. So that just said that uh, when Prince Rhaegar at last marched up the King's Road to the Trident, with him were all but one of the King's Guard. So who I think but were all but one of the King's Guard who had remained in King's Landing. Okay, there you go. Thank you. All right, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So Arthur Dane and the other guys aren't there. I was going to say, that didn't make any sense at all at first. When we, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's but good. I don't believe it mentions, actually, the, in the chapter, who these other guys are. We, we, we know, but... Yeah, no, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't think it said anything about how the King's Guard... It just says that they were, at one point, sent to kind of... Uh, to get Connington's forces... You know, right. uh, and to, to help recover them, but that was about it, um, as far as you know. Yeah, so it doesn't really mention them. Yeah. Um, goes on to talk about Sir Barristan and uh, you know, and what happened with with uh, with him at the Battle of the Trident. Because next up is the famous battle on the Trident. Uh, much has been written and said, but all know that the two armies the two armies uh, clashed at the crossing uh, that would ever after be called the Ruby Ford for the scattered rubies on Prince Rhaegar's armor. The opponents were mm-hmm. well-matched. Rhaegar's forces numbered 40,000, uh, and a tenth of that uh, number w- were knights, you know? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So that's like some, yeah. some what, f- you know, 4,000, you know, knights or something there with him, some some seasoned, right. you know, folks. Uh, but then they say uh, Robert and, you know, Eddard had, had just under that, but more seasoned, harder, you know, uh, more experienced or, you know, had been in more battles, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. Yeah. Um, and then it, it doesn't really talk a lot about the battle at the Trident because again, it, it goes off to kind of say, you know, there's been so much written about it. Um, it's just, just, which is interesting. Uh, this is the battle, uh, the battle screamed about Lord Robert and Prince Rhaegar both. And, uh, by the will of the gods or by chance or by ha- perhaps design, they met amidst, the shallows of the ford. The two knights fought valiantly upon their destriers, according to all accounts. For despite his crimes, Prince Rhaegar was no coward. Lord Robert was wounded by the dragon prince in combat, yet in the end, Baratheon's ferocious strength and his thirst to avenge the shame brought upon his stolen betrothed proved the greater. His warhammer found its mark, and Robert drove the spike through Rhaegar's chest, scattering the costly rubies that blazed upon the prince's breastplate. 
Yeah, so a <laughs> couple interesting uh, things here. Uh, just that the way in which they met on the battlefield, it was either by the will of the gods, by chance, or perhaps by design. And it's like it's separated by some some dashes, and it's really emphasized in the text. Um, mm-hmm. And even when I was listening to it, to it today, I mean, like the uh, the the reader of the audiobook was like really pausing for for dramatic effect uh, on that right. line. So yeah, I mean, how is it that they that they came to you know those two great warriors came to fight one another? You know, it's just kind of kind of interesting. You know, exactly. Yeah. So um, I know. the other and then the all, other, then then. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing about the rubies scattering, the rubies that blazed upon the prince's breastplate. So when it says they blazed, that does that just mean that they were there? That they, or does that mean that they literally were blazing? Right. Well, yeah. And and so the next paragraph is interesting too. Some men on both sides stopped fighting at once, leaping instead into the river to recover the precious stones. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes me think. You know, was it just poor men who wanted to make a fortune, or was there something significant about those particular stones? Uh, right. You know, um, and it says men well, you know, on the, the, both sides. The other sides, thing, the other thing so. is is interesting about that um, in the idea of it being a glamour, because as far as we know, to glamour, all you need is one stone, right? So, I mean, why why would there need why would there need to be like you know, it makes it sound like there's hundreds of these, you know, little rubies in, in his chest or something. Well, I mean, if yeah, that's a good point. Um, it could be it could be something. I mean, uh, as simple as like they wanted there to be more uh, to disguise the fact that it is a disguise. You know, um, right. That that's the only thing I can think of to really. You know, maybe that's maybe it's sort of like that's. You know, it would look weird to have I one. I don't know. Either mm-hmm. maybe people yeah, are more suspicious or something. I don't know. Maybe is it is it some sort of like projection like they do in the Last Jedi? Yeah, he's force projected there for sure. Yeah, except I mean. except he's like actually except he's like actually there. You know, like fighting. So it's not just like a person pretending to be Rhaegar. It is like Rhaegar through a glamour, right? Like some sort of magic, like projecting himself somewhere. I don't know. Well, and you know, I don't know that they ever in the series talk about. Um, what Rhaegar said, if he said, like Robert doesn't really recall that he said anything to him, you mm-hmm. know, um, or anything. And you would think there would have been some words or some exchange between the two. And right. There's really not. So, yeah. Yeah. But he, um, I don't know, but Lord Robert is wounded though, uh, by yes, whoever this person is, if this is Rhaegar. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, he, and it's sort of like he cannot take up the pursuit because basically once Rhaegar falls, uh, his forces start to kind of crumble and uh, flee. They break apart. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it almost seems like, you know, the battle was raging and they got to this point where people like saw them, you know, fighting. And was, you could almost imagine both sides are kind of like this is, you know, the battle is going to be decided by the winner of, you know, um, this melee. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so Robert is not able to give pursuit. And um, really, the only thing left in in, in this little uh, chapter here is uh, that he does not kill uh, Barrison Selmy. He, refu- he refuses. He, he, he proved his, proves his chivalry when he refused to allow the grievously wounded Sir Barrison to be killed. Instead, he sent his own. Uh, Macer to tend to the great knight. In such fashion did the future king win the fierce devotion of his friends and allies, for few men were ever so open-handed and merciful as Robert Baratheon. So, uh, yeah, and so then we have the end 
here, which is just the last little bit of the, the dragons. Birds flew and couriers raced to bear word of the victory at the Ruby Ford. When the news reached the Red Keep, it is said that Ares cursed the Dornish, certain that Lewin had betrayed Rhaegar. He uh, sent his pregnant queen, Rhaella, and his younger son and new heir, Viserys, away to Dragonstone. But Princess Elia was forced to remain in King's Landing with Rhaegar's children as a hostage against Dorne. Having burned his previous hand, Lord Chelsted, Alive for bad counsel during the war, Ares now appointed another to the position, the alchemist Rosart, a man of low birth with little to recommend him but his flames and trickery. Sir Jamie Lannister was meanwhile left in charge of the Red Keep's defenses. The walls were manned by knights and watchmen awaiting the enemy. When the first army that arrived flew the Lion of Casterly Rock with Lord Tywin at its head, King Ares anxiously ordered the gates to be opened, thinking that at last his old friend and former hand had come to his rescue, as he had done at the defiance of Duskendale. But Lord Tywin had not come to save the Mad King. Uh, that is, doesn't that kind of just blow your mind? Like, mm-hmm. uh, because if if only he knew. I mean, Tywin when he comes to Duskendale, he's also not, we're not sure what he was going to do. You know, right? I think he was okay with. Uh, Possibly just, I mean, go ahead and kill the king. You know, we have mm-hmm. Rhaegar's outside of Duskendale. And so there, it's just kind of mind-blowing that he didn't have very good counsel or very good awareness. Um, and he had really soiled that relationship with, with Tywin. And how does he think that – it's just, it's just mm-hmm. so foolish there. I don't know. It's just crazy. And he, right. and he goes against the counsel of, uh, of Varys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know later that Varys count, yeah. counseled him to keep his gates closed. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but then uh, basically it just goes on to say the Red Keep was soon breached, but in the chaos, misfortune soon, pal- soon fell upon Elia of Dorne and her children, Rhaenys and Aegon. It is tragic that their blood spilled in war. Many uh, may as readily be innocent as it is guilty and that those who ravished and murdered uh, Princess Elia escaped justice. It is not known who murdered Princess Rainey's in her bed or smashed the infant Prince Aegon's head against a wall. Some whisper it was done at Aerys' own command uh, when he learned that Lord Lannister had taken up Robert's cause, while others suggest that Elia did it herself out of fear as what would happen to her children in the hand of her, hu- of her dead husband's enemies. Uh, Aerys' hand, Rosart, was killed at a postern gate after cravenly attempting to flee the castle. And last of all to die was King Aerys himself at the hand of his remaining Kingsguard knight, Sir Jaime Lannister. Like his father, Sir Jaime did as he thought best for the realm, bringing an end to the Mad King. And so ended both the reign of House Targaryen and Robert's Rebellion. The war that put an end to nearly 300 years of Targaryen rule and ushered in a new golden era under... uh, the uh under house baratheon so yeah uh, so here's a here's a here's a question for you yeah sir ezra let's say that uh um jamie didn't kill the mad king and the mad king is not successfully able to blow up the city right or burn or burn anyone what would tywin lannister do i mean this is a total what if but still you know yeah, what would he have done with the mad king yeah um I think he might have made him just stand trial and executed him. 
I, and then do they place Rhaegar? Well, Rhaegar is dead at this point, so I guess never mind. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, you know, you still, though, have, well, let's see, you still have uh, Viserys, you know? Right. You still have Viserys. You still have uh, Rhaella over on Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. So what would they have done with them, you know? Um, yeah. Would they, have ha- would they have held another? See, the problem is that the Targaryens have, uh, in, in Aegon, uh, the unlikely knew, you know, uh, knew this was, was going to happen. I think, well, take that back. He was trying to rebuild sort of the Targaryen family dynasty, etc. Right. And, you know, the tragedy of Summer Hall happens. But because their numbers dwindled after the Dance of Dragons big time, uh, and then mm-hmm. they continue. And then they, they, and then, but then they, they, they get back up. And then it's just when you get to Aegon the Unlikely, so many crazy events happen. Yeah. Yep. That, yeah, you get down to like nobody. Right. Because I don't really know. I don't really feel like like who are their supporters anymore, you know? Like like who are their right? Like who are the Targaryens? They're such a small, you know, group uh, in, 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 right. anymore. That yeah, this was we were moving towards a time where Targaryens wouldn't rule anymore. There are no dragons, you know. The dragon riders are they're not, it's not a thing uh, right now. So mm-hmm. that he might so Tywin might have actually said, yeah, let's hold a great council and let's pick a new king. You know, I think they yeah. would have kept the, the format of the seven kingdoms, you know, being united under King, you know, they're at King's Landing. I think they mm-hmm. would have. Um, I know that seems kind of crazy because it's, it's, a, it's been Targaryens and, you know, and, and uh, all of that. They could have picked a Targaryen. Maybe a Viserys name is put forward. You know, um, Robert's name is put forward. Tywin might put his own name forward. You know, I don't know. That, and I take, because I guess, you know, you have other people who were, you know, you've said before, uh, Robert, you know, has somewhat of a claim because he does have that Targaryen connection, you know? So they might, right. they might've tried to piece it together and look and looked at distant family, you know, who were either, um, you know, somewhat related or, uh, r- removed slightly in, in one way or right. another. So, so like house, like house Valerion, you know, like there's a house that you could right. have, you know, possibly hit up and, uh, found a, a Targaryen, um, to kind of sit on the throne, but maybe, I mean, at this point they're done with them. I mean, they've, they've shown, yeah. They've shown that they're, um, you know, lusty and, and power hungry and mad and crazed and uh, th- their ways kind of go against the seven, you know, and mm-hmm. even the, well, I don't know about the old gods, but yeah, they have, they get in a lot of different disputes with the, with old town. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think he might've just said, you know, done with the Targaryens. So it's possible. Yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. It's uh, it's all, it's all, it's all interesting to think about. Yeah, but yeah. Well, we will have. Uh, I don't know. I and I and I don't and I have no idea what Robert would have done. Robert, I don't know. Robert doesn't seem like the kind of person who would have people executed, though. Yeah, I know that was. I thought that was a really good point. Um, in that he's very merciful. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, that was something people really liked about him. You know, is that he he's not right. looking to just you know he's not. Um, if he's going to kill somebody, he wants to kill him for the right reason. He wants to. If he's going to go to war, it's right. for a good cause, you know, uh, type of thing. So he does have that going for him, even though he, mm-hmm. he's lusty in other ways, you know, uh, right, and, yeah. and stuff. Well, but, and later, and later, it seems he is more willing to execute people, right? When he, when yeah. he, he, he wants he wants Daenerys killed, but then he kind of thinks about it, right? And he's like, no, it was a dumb. Yeah, you're right, Ned. It was a dumb idea. So I don't know. So anyway, let us know your thoughts. 
Yeah, and that's uh, that's a very yeah. short Roberts Rebellion because there are uh, a guy we've recommended before. Um, I think it's Atlas of, of Ice and Fire. Um, you've got oh my god, it's so good. So such a good you know uh, breakdown explanation of the battles and where they took place and how the armies you know moved. Um, really, really gives you a good visual uh, for that battle and helps you kind of understand how. Well, really, just what a great accomplishment it was for Robert to get his men out and back up to, you know, River Run to unite and press down on King's Landing. So, yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah, so we'll, we'll keep talking about it. And there's there's more, you know, we can go over uh, the different like I think it's kind of cool to cover the minor houses at some point. Uh, maybe we'll do this mm-hmm. on our Patreon series um, and talk about those minor houses that side, who, which side were they on, you know, and um who was fight because you've got 40,000 versus another 40,000 on that battlefield made up of various yeah. houses and stuff. So, uh, really interesting. Yeah. So, all right. All right. Well, uh, it's time to move on to the reread this, um, last week we were in Catlin five, uh, Catlin and Sir Roderick had taken shelter from the rain at the inn at the crossroads. Soon after Tyrion Lannister and his party arrive, Tyrion recognizes Catelyn, who had hoped to remain anonymous, and Catelyn takes this opportunity to convince the men in the room to take Tyrion captive so that he can face the king's justice in Winterfell. So, um, this week we're in Sansa 2, but the last time we were in a Sansa chapter. So this is this is kind of the problem with a POV read, is that... Um, the last time we were in Sansa, we were in Sansa 1. And uh, after exploring the camp, Sansa Stark had gone riding with her betrothed, Prince Joffrey. Near the Ruby Ford, they had come across Arya Stark and a butcher's boy play fighting. Joffrey begins to torment the boy until Arya attacks him. So that seems like a long time ago. And we've seen stuff with Sansa, but that's because she's in, you know, she is in um, Aria chapters and Eddard chapters. So sometimes that is the problem with the POV reads is that you see this a lot with characters that have crossover paths. Like in Clash of Kings, it's a lot of Tyrion and Sansa chapters, you know, go back and forth. And Cersei, or, well, Cersei doesn't have chapters in that book, but um, they're in a lot of chapters together. And then in like a lot of the John and Sam chapters. You know, there's a lot of crossover. So, yeah. So this week we're in Sansa 2. Sansa is um, enthralled by the tourney, especially the knights. Sir Gregor Clegane kills a new made knight named Sir Hugh in a joust. And after a victory, Sir Loras Tyrell gives her a rose. During the feast that follows, Prince Joffrey is very courteous. But afterwards, he orders the Hound to escort Sansa back to her chambers. When the Hound notices Sansa is avoiding looking at his burned face, he forces her to look and tells her how he acquired it. So uh, I have this kind of broken into three parts here. We have the first part, which is the tourney. The second part, which is the feast. And the third part, which is, did I ever tell you how I got these scars? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Uh, That's freaking great. yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, okay. So yeah, I, I found this chapter, um, interesting, um, mm-hmm. basically because it's another one of those things where, uh, you get some, some of these smaller houses, uh, various na- nights, you get more of their, um, house coat of arms, sigils and what have you. So that to me was one of the coolest things that came out of this chapter. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like Sansa. I'm in, I'm, you know, as, as they're, rolling into this tourney, I'm, I'm like in trance. I'm like, who's next? Who is this guy? Who is that guy? Where are they from? So 
That's kind of how I was reading this chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let me pull it up here. Sorry, I have like a I have like a million things open. Sometimes, uh, you know, somebody posted something the other day in the group where they're talking about like how Sir Matt and Sir Ezra must prepare <laughs> yeah. for these. And it's just like Stephen Colbert is just like ripping through all these pages. And it is literally that's like, I have like I have two computer screens up and my phone and like we got a book next to me. And yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So just just the first paragraph here. Sansa rode to the hands tourney with Septim Ordain and Jane Poole in a litter with uh, curtains of yellow silk so fine she could see right through them. They turned the whole world gold. Beyond the city walls, a hundred pavilions had been raised beside the river, and the common folk came out in the thousands to watch the games. The splendor of it all took Sansa's breath away. The shining armor, the great chargers comparisoned in silver and gold, the shouts of the crowd, the banners snapping in the wind, and the knights themselves, the knights most of all. Uh, it is better than the songs, she whispered. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she's ready to go. It's a great day for a, you know, for for, for attorney. Um, mm-hmm. interesting that I didn't notice in this that, uh, that the hand that Ned was actually there, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, is he there at this tourney? Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have to be. I mean, it's, it's, it's his, it's his tourney. I think in the show we see him. Don't yeah. We? In the show we do. Um, they don't really mention it here. Like what I noticed was interesting is at the end of this and going into the next chapter, um, it's, it seems like him and Barristan and Selmy come from somewhere. And it didn't seem like he was actually even at his own, at his own tourney. But that that could be totally wrong. But that it just seemed that way when I was reading this chapter. I was like, where well, the heck it's, is he? It's when it's it's when Sir Hugh dies is when they, I think, yeah. Well, in the show, see this, see, this might be another thing in the show, right? He we see him with Robert, um, convincing Robert to not put on armor and fight in the tourney. Right. Yeah, and, and so he, I take that back. He is actually at the tourney, but I just mean like this day one here uh, with Sansa. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like he's. Yeah. It doesn't seem like he's sitting there with her. But no, yeah, abs- absolutely, yeah. Because he does come in. He goes. He does come in the next day. Uh, like he's walking through, looking at the tents, mm-hmm. and he's trying to find you know uh, Robert later yeah. on. So yeah, no, yeah. Um. Okay. So let's see here. Let's get into some of these knights. Um. So it mentions that the seven knights of the Kingsguard, uh, they were uh, definitely there and involved, all but Jamie Lannister, because, um, well, he was there, but he's in different type of armor. He's in the scaled armor, mm-hmm. uh, the color of milk, um, but he had uh, for his, he had his white cloak, but beneath that he had this shining gold, um, you know, head to foot like armor um, with a lion's helm and a golden, you know, sword. So he's a little, you know, flashy and he's out there ready to go. Um, but they're all in this um, uh, tourney, which is which I think is kind of neat because a lot of them get kind of kind of beat. I don't think any of them make it to the final final four except for no. Um, does Jamie make it to the final four? Who is the final four? This mm-hmm. let's see. It'll show me here in a second. Um, Loris, I know Loris Tyrell is there. Um, the Hound, right. The Mountain, but I can't remember the. The other person. Yeah, the fourth person. Was it Jamie? Might have been. We'll find out mm. here at the end. Uh, it lists the four at the end but, of the chapter. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. They're talking about all these people in their armor. Um, I found this one interesting. Lord Jan Royce, uh, who had guested at Winterfell two years before, his armor is bronze, thousands and thousands of years old, engraved with magic runes that ward him against harm. Dude, I'm telling you right now, that's a, I had the same thing underlined 
Uh, <laughs> you know, same thing I wanted to talk about because I think his uh, two sons also have it's not the ancient armor, but they have runes or magical something. It mentions mm-hmm. like you know um, on on in their armor as well. I think right. So it'll talk about his his sons in a sec. But yeah, so what's up with that? You know, is it going back to Rhaegar? Is it like maybe it's not a glamour? It's supposed to be extra, you know, protection or something. Mm-hmm. I know. It's just interesting. It's all just, it's all just, it's all just interesting. Here we go. Here we hear another uh, these ma- these magic magic. You know. Now it could just be that Sansa is talking about this armor, and you know, because it, it's it's from Sansa's perspective, right? Um. And then we have uh, Jason Malister, um, who who we met we have... last week, didn't we? Uh, mm-hmm. When he was yeah. w- with Catelyn, isn't he the one who was coming south and he didn't recognize her? He... Yeah, he it says he had cut down three of Rhaegar's bannermen at the Trident. Uh, the girls giggled over the warrior priest Thoris of Myr with his flapping red robes and shaven head until the Septa told him that he once scaled the walls of Pike with a flaming sword in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that just says a bunch of hedge knights from the fingers and high garden and the mountains of Dorne. Um, you know, just, just, there's just tons of knights it, it seems like, and, and, you know, sons of Lords from all over the realm coming to this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. They put on a couple. So Sir Balin Swan, um, uh, Lord Bryce Karen, uh, the marches, um, mm-hmm. bronze and our, and our Royce and, uh, Robar Royce. Yep. Uh huh. So, Jan's uh, heirs there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yes, so, sir. Uh, it was Horace and Haber who are uh, the red wines, the the grape. They have the grape cluster sigil mm-hmm. of House Redwine. Yep. Yep. And then some younger Malisters are there. Lord Jason Malister's sons. Uh, six Freys um, all listed mm-hmm. there as well. We don't really. Who cares about the phrase? You know? Really? I mean, do they ever do anything? <laughs> Watch. Of, of Bittersweet. They're going to sit on the throne at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that'd be ridiculous, yeah, be ridiculous. Um, yeah let's see a couple other ones here well no that's basically it that they that they list bastard son oh his bastard son yeah so a bunch of phrases are there mm-hmm. so uh, and then you get some some neat uh, Jane Poole starts to kind of point out a couple uh, knights that she's super interested in and I can't say this guy's name but it's uh, he's the exile prince from the summer islands uh, he wore like mm-hmm. a cape of green and scarlet like feathers. Ja- yeah, Jalabar Zo. Yeah, is his name? I think. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then and then she and notices then she, our, yep. our good friend, uh, the young uh, Lord Beric Dondarrion, uh, with his hair like mm-hmm. red gold and his black shield slashed by lightning. Uh, she pronounced herself willing to marry him uh, on the instant. So. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The hound, so. and then the hound is 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 entered, and Renly, and just just a bunch of people. Yeah, just really kind of neat to see everybody coming uh, coming together. Uh, they go on and talk about the jousting for a bit, and you know, basically, uh, if you if you ever want, if you want to see this uh, broken down, if you go to the um, oh, uh, a world of ice and fire, the wiki westeros dot org, there you mm-hmm. can look at the different jousts, and you can see you know Jory Cassell defeating. Uh, one of the red wines is is interesting about this. Uh, uh, you know, Jory, the way he was dressed. Remember that part and how he just kind of looked like a. I think it was even Septim Ordain said that he looked like a beggar, <laughs> right? <laughs> among these other, uh, you know, um, riders. So other knights. Right. So, but yeah, so it, it just it kind of goes through and it lists it lists all of them. You know, who, who beat who, uh, type of thing. 
uh, Jamie Lannister, you know, beating uh, one of the Royces, and then that Bryce Karen, um, mm-hmm. you know. So yeah, Barristan Selmy's yeah. defeating other people. So yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right here. The uh, the most terrifying moment of the day came during Sir Gregor's second joust when his lance rode up and struck a young knight from the veil under the gorget with such force that it drove through his throat, killing him instantly. Yeah, it's a uh, Sir Hugh of the Vale. Right. They make it seem like it's just no no one of, of uh, great import uh, great importance because he's going to be the right. You know who they're looking at next chapter, really. Um, mm hmm. So yeah, there's just little little tease there. If you you know, yeah, and 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 then they talk about how how each of them handled it, and you know, Jane Poole is weeping hysterically, and Septimore Dane and Sansa says is kind of um, watching with a fa- weird fascination by it. Yeah, she's she's struck that she doesn't actually like you know cry really, and that she, this is kind of the first person she's ever seen die. Um, right, and she she believes that she would have cried if it was like Jory or her father or you know you know, but she. It says that she spent all of her tears on uh, on Lady, you know. So mm-hmm. she she thinks that's one of the reasons, possibly, why she's not like weeping hysterically, you know. Yeah, kind of like Jane. But um, yeah. So then, yeah. So, so then it talks about um, Gregor Clegane um, and just people who's beating who. Um, Balin Swan is beaten by the Mountain. Renly is to be is beaten by the Hound. Um, and I do find it that like Renly gets knocked off, and like all the ladies in the court are. You know, like yeah, <laughs> so so nervous and and worried, right, right. But then I I found this one most interesting, which just kind of goes back to the point I've been saying. So anyway, back to Beric Dondarrion not being that good. Um, later, a hedge a hedge knight in a checkered cloak disgraced himself by killing Beric Dondarrion's horse, and was declared forfeit. Later, Beric shifted his saddle to a new mount, only to be knocked right off it by Thoris of Mir. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would go to, def- to to his defense there and say he had a new mount, and uh, yeah. <laughs> it might have been a faulty mount. Uh, it's true. So there's, there's hey, that. Maybe, but I think that's where yeah, their maybe. friendship develops, actually. I think, right. I think it is, too. I think these two become friends right after that and get to know each other. So, Well, and, and Thoros of Mir is also, like, no slouch. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, he's, like, he's, he's really good. He's legendary. I mean, he's, he's known. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- his appearance, I mean, that's the thing. It says at the beginning that the girls were laughing at his appearance, but then once they're told, you know, basically how brave he is and how, you know, all of his feats and stuff, they're kind of like, okay, well, this guy's, you know, pretty legit. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah, and then it just goes over a bunch of the tilts, doesn't it? Yeah, just yeah, it just goes over, it just goes over a bunch of the tilts, and um, I, I think it's uh, right here. It says, uh, this is where it kind of starts to bring up Loris Tyrell. Um, after each vi- victory, Sir Loras would remove his helm and ride slowly around the fence and finally pluck a single white rose uh, from the blanket blanket and toss it to some fair maiden in the crowd. Uh, and then his like his last, you know, his last match of the day was against the younger Royce. Sir Robar's ancestral runes proved small protection as Sir Loras uh, split his shield and drove him from his saddle to crash with an awful clangor in the dirt. Robar lay moaning. Um, as the victor made his circuit of the field, finally they called for a litter and carried him off to his tent. Dazed and unmoving, Sansa never saw it. Her eyes only for Sir Loris. Uh, when the white horse stopped in front of her, she thought her heart would burst. To the other maidens, he had given white roses, but the only, uh, but the one he plucked for her was red. Sweet lady, he said, no victory is half so beautiful as you. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where she falls madly in love. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's done. So she's, 
Well, she's, she, I mean, she's got her, her Joffrey, but this is a gallant knight, you know. He's only 16. Mm-hmm. He's only 16 years old, yeah. actually. Um, the youngest son of Mace Tyrell. So, pretty cool. Um, uh, yeah, so then she, uh, let's see. Um, uh, yeah, Sansa says um, that she sees uh, the Hound, doesn't she? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, he had... Uh, gray green eyes that did not smile uh, when his mouth did. Um, you had the look of a Tully. So this is where Littlefinger shows up um, and actually kind of stops in there for a second. Oh boy, he's right. he's obsessed. You know, with um, he has this moment where like touches her cheek and like brushes her hair, uh, and he leaves mm-hmm. he leaves like abruptly, almost like he's like disturbed. You know, uh, or he's right. he's he's shook in some way uh, because of the um, you know just. The, uh, how striking she was or how, how much she resembled her mother, you know? So there's Peter Baelish showing up, uh, being a weirdo and a creep. Uh, but, uh, so there's that, uh, in the mention of the, never forget he has the silver mockingbird, you know, that's what, um, his sort of, uh, sigil, right. um, is moving forward. Now the, uh, Septim Ordain, um, uh, basically, you know, uh, Filled it. She she kind of fills up fills Sansa in as to who this is, you know. Um, and then once he leaves, uh, Joffrey does Joffrey show up? Yeah, but later Sansa. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's talking about how um, basically how the Hound is gonna you know kind of could handle right. h- handle all these guys, and then when once he's old enough, you know, then <laughs> then he could enter into the list, and and it's gonna be. No problem. So he's his normal braggadocious self, uh, right? Yeah. So, but and it, it, here's the here's the point you had mentioned before with the problem with it being such a long time between the the point of views is that Joffrey is um, uh, very acting very different towards Sansa here. Mm-hmm. You know, totally different. Yeah, totally different. Right, because because of because of you know she, he's still kind of viewing her at fault as to what happened. You know, with with Arya, yeah, yeah. So, and this is actually um, this is where I think they they take off. I might have missed it. They, this is where they head to the feast afterwards, right? Because that was right. Sir Lo- Sir Loris's last uh, kind of tilt there. And um, you know, the only four uh, contestants that are remaining are Sir Gregor, uh, the Hound, Sir Jamie Lannister, Sir Loris Tyrell, um, and uh, yeah. So, wait a second, I'm missing one. Uh, who's the other one? Sir Gregor, yeah, who is Sir who Jamie, is the fourth? and Sir Loras. I mean, it's like they don't. I'm, I'm trying to figure out who the, the Hound. Oh, the Hound. I'm reading them as the same. Right. I was. Uh, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, Sandor. you're viewing them as. Uh, yeah, yep. Yep. So you've got yeah. So you've got Gregor and Sandor, uh, Jamie, and then Sir Loras. Yeah. There we go. Mm-hmm. Got those yep. mixed up. Um. So those are the four that are left mm-hmm. over, and then uh, yeah, then they they're heading in for their feast, and this is where Joffrey's. Uh, you know. He, well, and and he's feeding her. He's 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 giving her wine. He's feeding her food. He's giving up. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, what what? Why do you think he's acting so differently now? Yeah, I yeah, I you know, I, at the same time, it is kind of interesting that he. Like, I don't really know why he. I mean, it's just because he's Joffrey, I guess. Would kind of blame Sansa for this. Um, this is actually a scene where I think the show kind of does a really good job of um because even at this point i would still i still feel like the books 
haven't opened up enough yet. Like, I really don't feel like the books really kind of change your perspective on people until about Storm of Swords when you get that first Jamie chapter. Um, I would still argue at this point it's like a Stark books, right? I mean, you have the Tyrion chapters and the Daenerys one, but Daenerys feels so far away. And Tyrion is just slightly different. Um, and then, it, But the rest are all Stark people, so you still kind of feel on the side of the Starks. Um, in the show, we get that scene with Joffrey and Cersei, where Cersei is, like, taping him up. And Joffrey has that line with her where he says, so everyone that's not us is our enemy, right? Or she says, or she says it. And I think that is, like, a good scene in the show to kind of say, like, this is why he would start to kind of hate um Sansa because he says I don't want to marry her um because before he seems like he's okay with the idea of it and then it's just it it must just only be from that one incident yeah you're yeah good point I was thinking actually that it might have been a uh oh that his that scene in the in the show is sort of like you know I think she says she he can screw whoever he wants he can do whatever Mm -hmm. he wants you know but like basically keeping uh it's important to keep the Starks or, or your enemies, you know, closer. And so that if that conversation happened right before the hands turning, then you that would answer the question as to why he's sitting next to her, you know, right. um, you know, feeding her food, uh, having her drink some wine, keeping her close, you know, make, keeping up appearances and things, uh, right? You know, for sure. So like he, I mean, he helps her eat like a, a snail, which I thought was funny. I was th- I just thought back to the snail. Now every time I. Like I, 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 I mm-hmm. ever since uh, we we've read the Hedge Knight, anytime I I, I see anything that uh, uh, references those books, I I just think it's you know pulls my attention a little bit. But yeah, so he's helping her eat some different types of food and things, and he's uh, she notices actually when he goes to feed her that snail or uh, a couple of different things that his arm is still bothering him, right? From where Nymeria had you know uh, jumped on him and, mm-hmm. and and bit him and things, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then and then um, really there's there is one kind of there's like one kind of interesting thing here that's kind of like hidden in the in this when they're all because it's mostly just about the f- different foods they're eating and stuff. And that's they kind of hear a commotion and it's, uh you know, a drunk Robert Baratheon kind of yelling at his wife, Cersei. Um, now, everybody heard him. No, he thundered in a voice that drowned out all the other speech. Sansa was shocked to see the king off his feet, red of face, reeling. He had a goblet of wine in one hand, and he was drunk as a man could be. You do not tell me what to do, woman, he screamed at Cersei. I am the king here. Do you understand? I rule here, and if I say that I will fight tomorrow, I will fight. (laughs) And it's just, you know, it's just, it's Robert. This is, you know, this is where you kind of get to see some of the bad side of Robert. You know, he's he's hammered, and he's he's yelling at her for a reason that's totally stupid. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I thought this was interesting for a different reason because I actually think Cersei was trying to convince him to fight. Like it's this reverse psychology because I think you're right. Remember yeah. later on they say that uh, they had they had plans. I think it's Varys or somebody had mentioned that they had plans to kill the king. You know, at the hand's tourney, um, mm-hmm. they have him in the melee. They wanted him to get in there, and then they had a plan to kind of hopefully it would go wrong or he'd be too drunk or something. You know, and uh, and they would actually have him killed. So I thought I was like, wow, you know, she's probably she just knows how to manipulate him, you know, and so right. she's well, I mean, I mean, 
especially, I mean, just this next line right here. Everyone was staring. Sansa saw Sir Barristan and the king's brother Renly and the short man who had talked to her so oddly and touched her hair, but no one made a move to interfere. The queen's face was a mask, so bloodless that it might have been sculpted from snow. She rose from the table, gathered her skirt around her, and stormed off in silence, servants trailing behind. Mm-hmm. I just like that the queen's face was a mask. Like, yep. clearly, you she know, she, something. she is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that's that's definitely it. So I, that's one of those little things where um, other parts of the series and, and things, when we look back at this, we can say, wow, right there she was... You know, he's clearly drunk and having a good time, and, and uh, he might have said something about, you know, him participating, or he could have done this or that better, you know, and she just is going to mock him and kind of force him into, you know, maybe they were having a conversation before this, and all we get is the, no, you're not going to tell me what to do, woman, I'm king here, you know, um, and so on, right. so, and that he will fight tomorrow, but, yeah. yeah. And then, and then basically, and then basically it goes on from there, and, uh they're talking about it's growing late and um he says you know the it grows late the prince said he had a queer look on his face as if he were not seeing her at all do you need an escort back to the castle no sansa began she looked for septimor dane uh, i mean to say yes thank you that would be most kind i am tired um and then she's i you know i'm, I'm assuming she's thinking oh joffrey will walk me back and he yells out for he yells out dog and then sandor clegane comes out yeah yep well, and it's yeah. So um, she's a little shocked there. Uh, uh, what's her face is is almost passed out, isn't she? Her septa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's passed out <laughs> drunk. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah. So so the hound takes her takes her back, and uh, he kind of mocks her, makes fun of her, and, mm-hmm. you know, and says like, you know, yep. you kind of thought that you know Joffrey was going to walk you back, didn't you? You know, and makes fun of the idea that you know she's just this uh, little bird. Right, this pretty little bird that keeps reciting nice words or mm-hmm. words she's been taught, and he's trying to, in a weird way, he's trying right. to he's, educate her. Right, he is, yeah. And so he, um, and so he kind of is mocking her about like, um, he, I think he calls her sir. She has, she says, "You rode gallantly today, Sir Sandor," and he freaks out and he's like, "I'm not a sir." Um, and then he's, she says, like, uh, says he was. She's talking about, did you see my brother? Uh, he says he was, and the hound says gallant, and then he kind of mocks her some more. Um, and they just kind of go, they just kind of go on about that for a little bit, and then it's when they're walking in is when he he starts to kind of tell her about like how he got his scars or how his face got burned. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and he he, he tells the story. Uh, unless you want to read it, did you want to read it? Oh no, I mean, I, I mean, I think everyone pretty much knows it. Just you know his. He was playing with a toy of his brother, and then his brother got mad and shoved his face in the fire. This is, you know, totally what happened. What, what I think is crazy is that his father covers it up, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. then there's that later on we find out about, like, a mysterious death, the mysterious deaths that happened around uh, House Clegane. And I just think it's crazy yep. that the father would cover up that type of... Uh, but, I mean, these are his sons, and he wants them, you know, he wants his house to be renowned and 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 to grow and to be more prosperous so you know he's gonna look over some right. monstrous episode here uh mm-hmm. between his sons which is just crazy yeah so and then i think at the end he he um so she feels kind of sad for the hound you know uh she's actually not like mm-hmm. really afraid of him anymore she's really just more like uh sad and that kind of i think pisses him off and uh so he he basically says that she uh, makes her swear to never tell anybody you know, 
that she that that, right. yeah, that he told the story. Uh, otherwise, he says, um, uh, "The hound caught her by the arm and leaned close." The things I told you tonight, he said, his voice sounding even uh, rougher than usual. If you ever tell Joffrey, your sister, your father, any of them, I won't. Sansa whispered, "I promise." It was not enough. If you ever tell anyone, he finished, "I'll kill you." Yep. <laughs> so I mean, Woody though, Sir Matt. I don't know. I don't know. Woody. I think I think he knows yeah, I how to scare a little girl. I think he does too. I think he knows how to scare her. I think he knows that she's a little bird and he he wants to she he can tell she's afraid and so he's going to use that to his advantage. It would cause a war. He right. he knows. He wouldn't do that, but right. um but he knows it's what he needs to say right now. So Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um okay. So that is the chapter this week. Um you know, kind of uh Interesting uh, how we go from the tourney to the feast and then the walk home, uh, but uh, it's got some good stuff in there. A lot of, a lot of more character building, more world building. Uh, you get more of those houses and and things, which I think is uh, uh, really neat. So, uh, on to yeah. uh, Cinder Raven here, and we actually have one from uh, Sir Robert of Newcastle, and I'm pretty sure I haven't read this. Uh, and if I'm wrong, then I apologize. But it kind of fits in with our discussion today. So he says, "Hey guys, uh, Sir Robert of Newcastle here." I was listening to uh, the podcast on Monday, and it got me wondering what would have happened if Rhaegar had uh, performed a coup of his father, um, or on his father. Would the war still have happened? Um, who would have won? I still think the war would have happened, but with a different outcome. Uh, yes, I still believe Robert would have risen, but with very different sparks. Rhaegar and Lyanna uh, would have got together, and the jealous slash perpetual Perpetulance and envy of Robert um, would have ra- uh, would have raised his banners, basically because of that jealousy uh, right. and their relationship. But whether it was for love uh, or for a hostage, uh, the North could not join the war. So, uh, with Ned out of the fight or even uh, possibly opposed to Baratheon's army, uh, they would have been destroyed. If Rhaegar was king, at this point his full uh, Kingsguard would be around him, uh, young Jamie, Sir Arthur Dane, Barristan the Bold. I don't think that uh, that might, uh, when it's unified, could have been defeated. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so happy to discuss my my theory. Uh, I think I thought that was interesting. It's sort of a what if sort of a scenario, you know. If um, right, what, what do you think, Sir Matt? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I mean, um, it's. It, uh, it's interesting because we we still don't we we don't really know the 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 Liana aspect of it, right? Like, did he take her just to take her? Did he take her for some crazy, you know, prophecy involving like the you know the others and winter and and all of that? And if the marriage was annulled, um, you know, I mean, if the sh- if we're going off the show here, just kind of because we that's where we have some theoretical in- information. Um, let's say the marriage was annulled right between him and Elia Martell and he does marry Lyanna Stark. Um, I don't know that the Starks would have like, so let's, let's say that, let's say that like net, like let's say like Brandon and Rickard Stark don't die. Right. Cause they don't ride down because everyone just knows that he married her. And so then he's kind of doing his own civil war. I think that's like an interesting way to do it. I think that Robert Baratheon would just be out of luck. 
I, and I don't think I, I don't think he would I don't think there'd be anything he could do. I think he would just be out of luck. And so then maybe he would fight with the tar like with the Mad King um, on that side. But then you'd have like Eddard Stark, and I feel like the Starks would have to back Rhaegar. So, you know, that's an enormous that's an enormous force. So I don't know. I think I think kind of Robert Bradley would kinda of have to sit it out and you know, maybe the Lannisters would fight with the Mad King. Um and maybe he would say, Well, maybe I'll marry Cersei to Viserys later. Um I other I don't know. I, I would I would kinda I would kinda say that the Mad King would end up kind of losing just because you'd have the power of the North and you know, you'd be screwed because the North, I mean like, and I, I don't know. I don't see a lot of people being interested in fighting. Maybe Dorn, maybe Dorn fights alongside the mad King, but I don't know. Uh, so, okay. My two cents on the, uh, on Sir Robert's what if scenario here, uh, basically it comes down to whether or not the Starks can communicate with, with, with Liana, you know, um, if they can, then I think, uh, she's she's able to either tell them, you know, that she's okay. She wanted to do this. She wanted to go about this willingly. Uh, they make it seem like in the book series though that she's captured and she's taken though, uh, which is which is tough. So, you know, and and the other whole part is you know if Lord, um, you know, uh, Stark is actually executed, you know, um, if, if Brandon is executed as well, then that's a big deal. So if those things don't happen, then you know we we could avoid war. And I'm with you. I think uh, then Roberts out of luck. So. Mm-hmm. Then I think I think the Duke does have to I don't know if Rachel would just kill him or if they would just kind of wait him out to be killed so that he can get a chance to really fight the Duke first. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Uh it's that's a good one though, Sir Robert. I mean I that's a interesting one to kind of think about uh, as to whether I think he makes a really good point that if Rhaegar is king and he has the full king's guard around him and his commanders and stuff you know um and and then he's sort of also aligned with with Dorne you know there's really no deposing him I feel like unless you've I mean unless he's really pissed off the north and you have again the north and and Robert kind of joining forces against uh Rhaegar then that it could happen but I also think Tywin though uh, and, and late Lord Frey, who shows up super late, I think some of these other other people um, would, because uh, the Freys are just looking for a piece of the pie, you know, <laughs> a piece of the pie. And uh, yeah, so would have been very different if he was on the throne, if Rhaegar would have actually taken over. So, all right. I think that's uh, it for Send a Raven there. So uh, we have a bunch more that we've uh, stockpiled and we're going to be, uh, talking about those on uh, you know, our, our follow-up Friday episode, so we'll get to all of those. We got a bunch uh, actually that we're sending in at the end of last week, so that's awesome. You guys, continue to send those to uh, btkcast at gmail dot com. Uh, on to man the wall, uh, basically just a place where we kind of plug our Patreon. Um, we have uh, uh, extra episodes there. We've got T-shirts. We've got a uh, place where we can you can kind of submit your your name. Um, and uh, we, we'll make you a custom sigil and have you kind of mm-hmm. join our community there. Um, yeah, and we've had we've had a we've had a handful of new patrons. Um, so if you if you are a new patron, 
Um, just make sure to either send us an email or hit us up on the Facebook page. You can like message us um, so we can get that sigil going for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, as the as they come in here, we're going to be sending out those uh, T-shirts and stuff. But we have the Black Council. You guys can kind of uh, take a look at. We've got some other really cool. Um, just discussions and episodes. I think uh, Sir Matt and I are excited to kind of start the Hedge Night up again, and yeah. uh, so we're looking forward to that for sure. So uh, you can check all of that out at uh, Patreon.com forward slash Bend the Knee. So, so all right, Sir Ezra, I think it's time to uh, sign off here. Um, as always, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing Chapter Thirty, Eddard Seven. Uh, if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment, or send us a raven uh, at btkcast at gmail.com. We will see you in a week, and remember that winter is coming. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 